Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer. I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. M-S-W Media. Hey everybody, it's AG and welcome to Refried Beans, where we play an episode of the Daily Beans podcast from the same week, either one, two, or three years ago, so we can see how far we've come. So please enjoy this episode from Days Gone By and note the date in the intro. Refried beans. I like refried beans. That's why I want to try fried beans, because maybe they're just as good and we're, we're wasting time. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021. Today, the Senate has voted 50 to 49 to move on a budget resolution to pass the COVID relief bill without Republicans. The House impeachment managers and Donald's defense team have each filed pretrial briefings. Jenny Thomas has apologized to Clarence Thomas's law clerks and staff in the fallout of the attack on the Capitol. Biden will sign executive orders today to reunite families at the border. Donald pocketed the cash he raised, peddling the big lie. Alexei Navalny has been sentenced to three and a half years in a Russian penal colony. Lindsey Graham delays Merrick Garland's confirmation hearing, and two FBI agents are killed in a raid in Sunrise, Florida. I'm A.G. And I'm Dana Goldberg. 
Hey, Dana, how are you today? I am good, AG, much better than I was yesterday. Oh, good. How's your back? Is your back uh, good? You know, this is that I was in a bad car accident uh, when I was younger, and I also uh, broke my back on a three-wheeler. Long stories, but um, now that I'm getting, now that I'm in my 40s, pretty pretty well into my 40s, my body is just like, we'll see how it goes today. You might stretch wrong and throw out your back, but who knows? Maybe you'll get out of bed just fine. It's a crapshoot. So today was a better day. Yeah, like you get sciatica from sneezing now. So yeah, it's ridiculous. I will throw out my back from sneezing. Yeah, I fully I fully understand that. Um, Today is gonna be fun. We're back apparently to fire hose of news. Uh, It was just yesterday. Oh my goodness. So much shit. Um, But I also want to remind everyone that you and I will be live having a chat on the stereo app this Thursday at 5pm Pacific time. And we'll do it every Thursday at five. So I want you everyone to join us uh, live for our after party. And it's pretty cool because you can record messages and send them to us either asking questions or just making comments uh and you know we do some exclusive stuff over there we're a little more irreverent and um you know i don't I, how would you explain it i think that's exactly it i think it's funny that we're a little more irreverent considering we're pretty irreverent <laughs> i almost said i almost said the f word for no reason we're pretty irreverent here but uh it's in it's a nice open forum and you don't even have to stick to politics if you don't want to. if you have questions about anything and you expect ag and i to maybe know an answer that's the time to ask questions i love every time it's it's fun because it's sort of like a Russian roulette for us because you push play. We don't know what question we're about to get. Uh, so that's also a big uh, entertainment point for it. So join us and uh, grab a drink, either, you know, a dole or some juice and cookies, whatever you want. And just let's have some fun Thursday. Yeah. Download the stereo app. It's free. It's a live social conversation app. You can co-host shows or be part of the conversation or just listen in um, and uh, we really hope that you join us. We'll be doing that every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific um, with, uh, yeah, with Dana and I. So I'm excited about that. Uh, with that out of the way, uh, everybody, let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. So the lead story today is that the Senate has just voted, Dana, and this is a late addition to the script, but they just voted 50 to 49 to advance the budget resolution, which is the first step in using budget reconciliation to circumvent the filibuster and get this COVID relief plan called the American Rescue Plan passed without the help of any Republicans. So step one is done. I think that's wonderful. Um, You know, who knows how that meeting was going to go through Republicans, but their bill was very, very thin. Uh, So I'm I'm glad that they're doing this. And of course, it's pissing off a lot of people. But you know what? They use the same damn thing to give the tax break to the 1%, you know, four years ago, however long it was. So I don't want to hear any bullshit. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, elections have consequences. And if Mitch McConnell wants to stand up and say, you know, we're just doing this end run, we're scorching the earth, blah, blah, blah. You know what? Take a look. Time to take a swim in Lake U, Mitch, because what seriously, (laughs) what have you been doing for the last how long has he been in charge of the Senate. So it's uh, and there's some other things, too, that are are going on in the Senate right now that are pretty disturbing, like Dick Durbin is is really upset that uh, Lindsey Graham is kind of blocking or delaying the hearing uh, for Merrick Garland to be appointed as the attorney general. Um, So here we have another Merrick Garland delay in the Republican Senate, which is not a Republican Senate. I just don't understand. Like, they should have the gavels. Mitch caved. He said he wasn't going to force him to sign a thing. 
uh, promising not to kill the filibuster. Yet here we are still. Uh, though Schumer Schumer has come out and named the committee chairs uh, in for the Senate. So hopefully we're, we're, they're supposed to vote on it today. I don't know. I'll be talking to uh, Jake Sherman from Punchbowl News a little bit later in the show. Uh, we'll cover we'll cover that uh, a little bit. But also today, the House impeachment managers and the Trump team have both filed their pretrial briefings for impeachment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm laughing, and you know I'm laughing, and I hope the listeners know why I'm laughing. But yeah, we know, we know. Uh, oh goodness! So the Dems have called <laughs> Donald's role in the insurrection unmistakable, and they went on to say, "quote is It is impossible to imagine the events of January 6th occurring without President Trump creating a powder keg, striking a match, and then seeking personal advantage from the ensuing havoc." On the Trump side, <clears throat> his lawyers are denying that Trump incited the insurrection and that his speech at the ellipse before the attack on the Capitol is protected by the First Amendment. It is not. And that the trial itself is unconstitutional because you can't impeach a former president. Yes, you can. Donald's lawyers uh, also make several spelling and grammar <laughs> errors. This is my favorite. Uh, staying on brand. Come on. Who among us doesn't know how to spell United States? <laughs> yes, the United the United States. United States. <laughs> <laughs> and they also claim, quote, insufficient evidence exists upon which a reasonable jurist could conclude that the 45th president, they don't say the former president, yet they argue that a former president can't be impeached. Weird. Uh, conclude that the 45th president's statements were accurate or not, and therefore denies they were false. So this is that dangerous defense we'd spoken with Ali Honig about recently, and it appears as though the president got his way to be able to use the impeachment trial to argue that the election was stolen and that the insurrection was justified. The 45th president, this is another quote, the 45th president performed admirably in his <laughs> role. Now, of course, they didn't mention the 60 plus count, you know, court cases, 64, I believe, is the total that they lost. And they also don't mention that no one could find any evidence of election fraud. And you know that he told these attorneys that he fired his previous legal team of five attorneys because they refused to argue that the election was stolen and that the attack on the Capitol was justified. I think this puts Donald's new legal team in ethical jeopardy. Uh, Andrew Torres and I will take a deep dive into these documents on next week's Cleanup on Aisle 45 podcast. Check that out if you haven't subscribed already. And Trump has pocketed most of the quarter of a million dollars he raised. We know about this. He was, you know, this is the money he raised peddling false election claims. He only spent about $10 million on legal costs. Uh, far more is now sitting in the coffers of a new political action committee called Save America that Trump formed after the election, after the election, that provides him a fat war chest he can use to pay advisors, fund travel, and maintain political operations. Trump's new PAC had $31 million in the bank at the end of 2020 and an estimated $40 million more sitting in a shared party account waiting to be transferred into it. And uh, conservative political activist Virginia Thomas, Ginny, told her husband, Justice Clarence Thomas, told his former law clerk she was sorry for a rift that developed among them after her election advocacy of Trump and the endorsement of the January 6th rally in D.C. that resulted in violence and death at the Capitol. Quote, I owe you all an apology. I have likely imposed on you my lifetime passions. Passions. I guess, I guess insurrection is her passion. Again, who among us? Who among us, A.G.? Come on. <laughs> I know, I know, right, right. Uh, Jenny recently wrote uh, to a private uh, Thomas Clerk world email list. That's from an email that she sent to the private email list of her staff, 
over his three decades on the bench. My passions and beliefs are likely shared with the bulk of you. They're not. Uh, but certainly not all. And sometimes the smallest matters can divide loved ones for too long. What? Let's pledge not to let politics divide this family and learn to speak more gently and knowingly across the divide. Shut up. I feel like this would also be her answer if you know there was even more proof that somehow her husband i don't know sexually assaulted someone but yeah uh it's 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 frustrating that little passion just a little passion it's a little hobby of mine no hobby of capital and and killing cops it's just something i do in my spare time you know crack you know scrapbooking (laughs) pinterest overthrowing democracy (laughs) and insurrections insurrections All right, so moving on to some better news with someone who's cleaning up the shit show that was the last administration, President Biden. He will sign three immigration-related executive orders on Tuesday. That is tonight, including one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he uh, he just just now, this uh, I'm just learning, he's, he's just signed them, yeah. They are done. Okay, so these executive orders have gone through. They're including, so including one that has established a task force. Um, I'm going to try and say this in present time. They, it, is a, it will establish a task force aimed at reuniting migrant families separated under former President Trump's hardline immigration policies. And this is according to a senior administration official. So the Trump administration oversaw the separation of more than 5,500 migrant families, including hundreds of children whose parents or guardians still have not been located because they either had no paperwork or they lost the fucking paperwork. This infuriates me. And this is for, uh, this is per December court filing. So the task force, which has been chaired by the Secretary of Homeland Security, will first work to identify the children and families who have been separated. And that's what the official said. It will also, it will make recommendations to the president and federal agencies about how best to reunite families. And the task force will also re- be required to report regularly to the president and recommend and steps to prevent family separation in the future. So the second order Biden has signed is aimed at addressing the root causes of irregular migration and reviewing Trump's administration's migrant protection protocols program, also known as Remain in Mexico. Good Lord. Program according to officials. So two things. This includes ensuring Central American refugees and asylum seekers have access to, quote, legal avenues to the United States. And the other thing it does, this order will also instruct the DHS to review the MPP program and direct federal agencies to examine and rescind several Trump administration proclamations, rules, and guidance that effectively close the U.S. border to asylum seekers. Ah, The third one, This is more. The third one is focused on restoring, and I quote, faith in our legal immigration system. This is uh, per the officials. Two things here. It will order a review of several Trump policies, including the public charge rule and related policies there. That's the thing that would said that if you are going to be a drain on our uh, resources, you can't come in. Right. Which would I would like to throw out a lot of white people (laughs) at this point in our history for doing just that. Um, uh, It's also uh, it will rescind Trump's memorandum requiring family sponsors to repay the government if relatives receive public benefits and streamline the naturalization process which is just absurd that one is absolutely absurd that that was in place mm-hmm. yeah and i think what was interesting is after he signed these i just watched the signature ceremony he he said i'm not making new law i'm rescinding bad policy yes which is such a great way to say it because you know the right right now is up in arms oh he's he's presiding with a pen you know yeah and i i'm i'm sure that uh ken paxton the attorney general down there in texas who already sued to block 
Biden's pause on deportations for 100 days because he wasn't consulted first. Uh, I'm sure he's going to sue to block these. Uh, So, you know, we'll see how that goes. And, you know, it's just astonishing to me that he's like, well, I'm doing this because we don't want to let criminals into our country. He's a fucking indicted criminal. Like, (laughs) like deport yourself. Red Rover, Red Rover. (laughs) Let's switch out a couple. Like, let's get some migrants in here that, you know, participate, add to our economy, pay their taxes, and let's get rid of these guys. I'm fine doing a trade-off. And uh, Lindsey Graham Crackers is in the news again, and I mentioned this at the top of the show. He uh, rejected a request Monday evening from the incoming Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Dick Durbin to hold a confirmation hearing next week for Merrick Garland. Um, This is, you know, Biden's pick to lead the Justice Department. In a letter sent earlier Monday, Durbin urged Graham, the outgoing judiciary chair, to hold Garland's confirmation hearing Monday, February 8th, the day before the Senate is scheduled to begin its impeachment trial of former President Donald Trump. Durbin argued that further delay jeopardizes our national security, particularly in the aftermath of the January 6th insurrection. But Graham responded that the Illinois Democrats' request was highly unusual given the hearing's proximity to the start of the trial. Mm, A one-day hearing, he says, as you are proposing, the day before impeachment trial of former president is insufficient. Uh, he said in a letter back to Durbin, Democrats do not get to score political points in an unprecedented act of political theater on one hand, while also trying to claim the mantle of good government on the other. Speaking speaking of political theater, uh, every time Graham gets upset, it sounds like she's auditioning for a part in the Crucible. I can't deal with it. I can't. So drama. It's so drama. The, the dispute over Garland's confirmation hearing is the latest complication of the 50-50 Senate. While Democrats control the Senate, party leaders have yet to finalize the organizing resolution that will determine the committees for, uh, for the upper chamber. Until the organizing resolution is approved, Republicans like Graham still hold gavels in committees. Um, once the Senate adopts the organizing resolution, though, Chuck Grassley will take over as the top Republican on the Judiciary Committee. So Mr. Pigeon himself uh, will take over um, that. I just want Lindsay out. I mean, th- there's no reason that these gavels should not be handed over yet. And I wonder if they're trying to block Garland um, because they know once he's in there. The shit's going to go down like all yeah. of these things and, and Lindsay's probably scared because i'm sure there's going to be in some investigations on his head too so i'm sure that's why he's trying to block this right now yeah and a lot of people are calling uh on the left are calling for them to just make merrick garland the acting attorney general i know that trump did that a lot but you're not supposed to do that so you know <laughs> that's just not the way it's done and, and if he did anything while uh, uh an invalid acting attorney general it could be overturned so it's you know they have to go through this confirmation process because we follow fucking rules we have to return to regular order so that's sort of what's going on um what's going on overseas we've got russian opposition leader and fierce kremlin critic alexei Mulvaney. he was sentenced to three and a half years in prison on tuesday like you said at the top of the hour in a court proceeding that he condemned as politically motivated so the court gave him credit for about a year of the sentence he had already served under house arrest saying he would be required to spend another two years and eight months behind bars now in a speech in the moscow courtroom before the ruling was handed down Mulvaney accused russian authorities and President Putin directly of being responsible for his persecution and his poisoning, as we all remember, with a deadly nerve agent that was put in where, A.G.? In his undies. In his underwear. And this is yeah. a quote. They're in prison. <laughs> I just, I just don't know. How I, I just, cold. Dershowitz popped into my head for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> Dershowitz is like, I, I, I take my underwear off because I wasn't sure if I was going to get poisoned. Mm. Okay. Um, 
Now, this is a quote. They're imprisoning me, excuse me, they're imprisoning one person to frighten millions, Mulvaney said. This isn't a demonstration of strength. It's a show of weakness. And we've seen it right now over there, people protesting. Yeah, just hundreds more were arrested uh, today that were protesting Navalny's um, imprisonment. Right. And you know what bullshit? I know you were following this on Twitter. You know who was really back in the protests and really upset about this decision? Yeah, Lindsey Graham, which is just ridiculous. So the U.S. State Department has called for Novani's immediate release. Uh, Blinken also des- uh, designated the actions of Myanmar uh, coup d'etat. The Biden administration warned Myanmar's military official Sunday that it will, quote, take action if they proceed with an apparent coup against the country's civilian leaders. Yeah. So they're full out calling Myanmar a, a coup. And, uh, and and so it's nice to see the State Department responding to to these kinds of things. They've been silent for four years. Um, I, I know a State Department actually does their job. What? Hmm? Well, you have opinions? Um, yeah, it's, it's nice to see. Anthony Blinken's doing a good job so far. And uh, two FBI agents were fatally shot and three agents were wounded in a shootout as they executed a search warrant in Sunrise, Florida on Tuesday morning. The subject of the warrant is dead, according to the FBI. The shooting occurred at about 6 a.m. as a team of law enforcement officers executed the federal court-ordered search warrant as part of a violent crimes against children case. That's according to a statement from the FBI Miami Special Agent Michael D. Leverock and spokesman Jim Marshall. Two of the injured FBI agents were taken to the hospital. They're in stable condition, while the third injured agent was not hospitalized hospitalized. Uh, We'll be right back with journalist Jake Sherman. He has co-founded Punchbowl News. I'm sure you've been seeing it pop up in your feeds here and there. Uh, And he's also the co-author of the book, The Hill to Die On, The Battle for Congress and the Future of Trump's America, to discuss uh, today's confirmation of Pete Buttigieg, uh, first confirmed openly gay cabinet secretary, and Mitch McConnell's comments about Marjorie Taylor Greene. So stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today, I am joined by journalist and founder of Punchbowl News. It's a new news network and co-author of the book, New York Times bestseller, The Hill to Die On, The Battle for Congress and the Future of Trump's America. And we're going to talk with Jake Sherman. Jake, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm really looking forward to, to talk to you today. Because first of all, and and you know, totally true story. I'm flipping through stuff, going through news. This is what I do all day as I analyze news. And I'm like, huh, really big scoop here by Punchbowl News. What is Punchbowl News? <laughs> yeah, and, that's uh, it's absolutely, it's incredible. And I want you to tell me a little bit about, you know, you founded this with Anna Palmer. And I want to uh, talk a little bit about what Punchbowl News is and how it works and sort of why, like what prompted you to, to do this? Yeah. So, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate that. Um, I was at Politico for 11 years, which in in um, in these days is like a is like 55 million years. I think I don't think anyone stays at jobs for that long anymore. And I started as a kid and uh, kind of got a niche, which was covering Congress and covering the politics of legislating. So I did that for a long time at Politico, and then I wrote Playbook, which is Politico's franchise newsletter. And Anna and I, who, who we wrote Playbook together, we decided to go out on our own and, and found this news organization called Punchbowl which we did with my former colleague at Politico and now colleague at Punchbowl, John Bresnahan. And our focus is super specific, which it is power 
uh, people and politics in Washington. So our focus is really on the, let's call it 20 to 50 to 100 people who really matter in DC, the leadership, the people who make decisions. I'm not, we're trying not to chase, chase shining objects. And um, our goal is to help people better understand um, the people in power who matter. And so what we say, and, and we get a little bit of flack for saying this, which is okay, um, we're not the place to go if you hate Mitch McConnell or hate Nancy Pelosi and just want to read about how much they they suck or they don't suck or how great they are. That this is not the place for you. And I, I suggest you just eject if that's your if that's your goal. Um, and I'm sorry if I turned people off, but this is the place to go to understand what they do, why they do it, and and, and understand before they do it. So anyway, that's kind of the theory of the case. And the Daily Punch, which is our our podcast is just an extension of that, an extension of that conversation that we have three times a day in our newsletter and um, and elsewhere and on TV and otherwise. And this is the, the Daily Punch is kind of an extension of that conversation. Interesting. Yeah. So, oh, so you're just you're going to just report facts and stuff. I mean, <laughs> what kind of it's novel, right? <laughs> what kind of crazy operation are you running over there? Punchable. Uh, no, I think that's fantastic. And, and uh, you know, I really appreciate the way that you position your stories. Um, it's just, you know, straightforward. Here's what's happening. These are the most influential people in D.C. and what they're doing and what they're saying. And tell me where you came up with the name. Well, Punchbowl is the Secret Service nickname for the Capitol. Um, and um, that's where, you know, we decided that in our view, and, and this is a long time view, and this is definitely a bias. We believe all power emanates from this building. I'm sitting in the Capitol right now. Um, we believe that all power kind of comes from this building in D.C. It's the geographical center of Washington. It's also the, um, we think, the heart and soul of D.C. And um, that's something that we've seen from president to president. I've, I'm now covering, I covered Obama, I covered Trump, and now um, Biden. And I think that every every president, to some degree, um, underestimates or, or misunderstands, or, or as George Bush said, misunderestimates the Capitol and Congress. <laughs> and um, and I think they do that to their own, to their own detriment. And I, I will say this, though, we will have opinions, but the opinions will be on strategy, not, you know, the $15 minimum wage is bad or it's good or it's whatever, but the the best way to achieve that end, if that makes sense. It does. And we'll talk about that a little bit um, coming up in the next segment, because I do have a couple of questions for you about some of the things that are going on. So you're actually, you're in the Capitol right now. They, you have an office there or like, how's that, what does that set up like? And does it put you like kind of right in the action there? It does. Yeah. I'm in the Capitol. I'm in the house periodical press gallery now, which is uh, on the third floor of the Capitol. That's uh, where I've worked. And John Bresnahan, my colleague who's sitting not far from me. Um, we've both worked here for a long time. He for longer than me. I've been working here for 11 years him he's been working here for 24 years and uh, or 27 years i believe and um it does put us in the middle of the action because our view is you can't really um you can't cover congress or politics without being around practitioners of it the people who have election certificates who are in the middle of of everything and who are making the decisions and um, we have a really unique opportunity, we meaning the, the Capitol Hill Press Corps, we, we don't have any big, um, we don't have any restrictions, really, we could go wherever we want in the Capitol, we could basically do whatever we, we want to do. And that's great. And that's something that we've always um, that we will hopefully never get taken away from us. So we're, you know, I'm probably a 
you know, minute walk from the Senate floor and a minute walk from the House floor, which, you know, is terrific. It's the it's the greatest thing in the world. Well, that's an exceptional amount of experience on your team. Yeah. Um, let's let's talk about that for a minute, because of the, of the amount of time you spent covering Congress going back to Obama, your colleague there, um, you just said 20, 20 plus years, more than two decades. Yeah. John Bresnahan, he, he worked with us at Politico and now he's uh, he's one of the three journalists here. Yeah, so that's that's going to bring a lot of, I think, a depth of understanding to the coverage of the Capitol uh, that a lot of networks and podcasts may be missing. Yeah, that's our goal. Um, we, you know, we've known these people and have covered these people: Nancy Pelosi, Kevin McCarthy, Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, for a long time, um, and they give us access and talk to us not because we they think we are going to um be on their side or not be on their side or take their side over somebody else but because they believe that we understand the institution we care about the institution and we will um uh write you know give give him give them a hearing so to speak and and put their their strategy in the larger context and there's also a dynamic of we kind of talk to everybody. So everyone wants to talk to us because they don't know who else we're talking to. That's kind of the way reporting, I think, works a lot of times. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's, I think a lot of people, there's two kind of downsides to DC reporting. A lot of people get caught chasing the shiny object, which is, you know, um, uh, someone says something outlandish, let's chase them around all day and talk to them about it and talk to other people about it. And then s- some people just concentrate only on the White House, which is just not the global view that you need to understand legislating. Yeah, not even the first branch. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of times, and, and we'll get a little bit into the weeds in this uh, in a minute, but, you know, so many times I'll be reporting on something and I'll, I'll be screaming it and how amazing it is and no one's really sort of paying attention. So I think it's it's important that we focus on these issues of process and the importance of uh, the two houses, the Senate and the House of Representatives, its place in the Constitution and the government and, and the power that is wielded there. So I'm I'm excited to to see how how this all unfolds. And I'm really um I'm glad that that we have a, a fact-based sort of not shiny object following news organization out there. I appreciate that you're doing this. And I was hoping you could tell me a little bit about the structure of your newsletter when it comes out, the structure and length of your podcast, how it's set up. Can you go into those details a little bit? Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. Um, so the newsletter comes out three times a day, it comes out early in the morning, about 6 a.m. And that's free and will always be free. The afternoon, evening, and all other content is uh, behind a paywall, which is $300 a year. But uh, for example, we sent out 58 newsletters in the month of January. So um, there's a lot of content that you're going to be getting. And we've been super, I mean, we've been bowled over by the support we've gotten so far and the subscribers we've gotten so far. But luckily, the morning is always free if you're not, if you don't want to spring for the, the subscription. Um, the podcast is about eight to 10 minutes every morning, and it's us talking about some of the things that we have in the newsletter every single day. So um, we record it around five o'clock in the morning while we're putting together the newsletter, the morning newsletter. And I'm right now working on uh, another edition of the newsletter. So we're always working on something. Um, and that's kind of the the general cadence. But we do all sorts of things. On Sunday nights, we have something called The Look Ahead, which is a show that we do on Zoom. Um 
uh, kind of taking people inside of our weekly planning meetings, take so people understand what we're going to be looking at the week ahead, what we're looking for the week ahead. We've had some awesome guests. We've had Katie Turr from NBC, who's been a friend of ours for a very long time. We've had uh, Manu Raju of CNN, who worked with us at Politico. He's now the chief congressional correspondent for CNN. And last week, we had Susan Glasser and Peter Baker, who just wrote an amazing book about James Baker, no relation to Peter. Peter Baker of the New York Times, Susan Glasser of the New Yorker, uh, wrote that book. And we did a book club. We talked to them about their book and about power in Washington. So what we're trying to do really is uh, our theory is, and I get, and I would say that your listeners have the same the same wants and same desires, which is people, I think you can't really buy intimacy, right? Be- people listen to podcasts because they're seeking intimacy with the host or intimacy with the interviewer or int- intimacy with the guests. We're seeking intimacy with our audience in a way. And I think a lot of people feel uh, bought into us because we've been in the newsletter space for so long. Um, and that's what we're trying to do. Everything we try to do is we're, are we, what are we bringing new to the table, both content wise, product wise, and, um, how could we bring our readers and listeners and consumers of our content closer to the news? Yeah. And the interesting thing is everyone was kind of looking ahead, wondering if the news would slow down uh, after um, 45 was uh, not elected, not reelected. And it doesn't seem to be, and I don't think it will be. There's going to be a lot to unravel and clean up and our legislature is going to be extremely busy. Uh, in the in the coming months and years, so I'm I'm so glad that there's another new news organization, especially with the amount of experience you have covering it all. And I want to get into a couple of those stories, a couple of the things that you're covering right now. But I need to take a quick break. Would you mind hanging out and staying with us for a minute? I would love that. Great, everybody. We'll be right back. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking to Jake Sherman, uh, founder of the Daily Punch podcast and Punch Bowl News, covering Congress and. Uh, Before the break, I I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of the things that are going on in Congress. I briefly mentioned that I've been screaming at the top of my lungs about something that I think is incredibly important. And it's it's it doesn't get the traction that, say, Melania swatting Donald Trump's hand away does (laughs) coming down an airport stair. Um, But it's so important. And that's the the concept of of budget reconciliation that it looks like the Democrats are going to take. They've already filed. to to uh, reconcile or you know redo the budget for fiscal year 2021 as as that's part of getting the American Rescue Plan uh, through because it uh, you know the re- the Republicans have come back with a very low number and uh, all of the experts and uh, everyone who's advising Congress and the White House is saying it can't it, that won't do anything it'll end up costing more in the end so could talk a little bit uh, about uh, how, your coverage of this budget reconciliation package and this process. Yeah, so budget reconciliation, just to dive in a little bit more, is the process by which Congress can um, sidestep the filibuster. So can pass a um, a bill, a budget and tax bill with 51 votes instead of 60 votes. Um, the Republicans used it twice in, in um, Donald Trump's time. They used it to um, try to repeal the health care law with and they didn't they didn't succeed in that clearly and they tried to use it to, and they did use it successfully to pass uh, tax reform which they did in 2018 2017 um, late 2017 um, it is a long and arduous process and I just want to warn everybody of that before getting getting all uh, optimistic and and ready to go on on uh, Joe Biden's rescue package. It takes a while. Budgets are subject to many, many amendments, what we call a voterama here on Capitol Hill. But it is a completely legitimate way 
to get this kind of legislation through. It's not cheating. It's not Republicans are now saying it's cheating. It's not cheating. I mean, but it, what we have to also be honest on the other side, what it is, is a way for the majority party to not include the minority party. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's anything particularly controversial about that. The White House seems to because they keep saying Republicans can vote for it. Of course, Republicans can vote for it. But the reason to use it is because the Republicans will not vote for it. And they want to pass things that Republicans don't support. Again, nothing wrong with that. All cool, all groovy. Like we could all be happy about, you know, about that process. But that is just the reality of the situation. And, and um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for Democrats to do it. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has a very narrow majority in the House. Chuck Schumer has no majority in the Senate, but gets the tie-breaking vote from the Vice President Kamala Harris. So, um, you know, that's just, it's, I would just think that 1.9 trillion is a big number. I'm not sure it'll end up there. Um, I think instead of progressives or, or get very angry at Joe Manchin when he doesn't like certain uh, parts of the Democratic agenda, unfortunately for Democrats, he's part of the Democratic caucus. So you could either uh, cater to him to get the vote or not. And he's a veto, an, an automatic veto over anything Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer want to do. So you can have your choice of whether to talk to him and try to figure out what he wants or to not. Um, so listen, that's kind of the, that's, uh, that's probably a controversial point of view from some people. That is just a reality. He is one of 50 and uh, he, his vote counts just as much as Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders. So that's the, um, that is the, uh, my kind of overall back in the napkin view on reconciliation. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the same where, you know, a lot of progressives want to, remove the filibuster. And that also requires uh, a majority, simple majority vote to do. And they don't have the votes to do that either. So it's yell all you want about, you know, Joe Biden not killing the filibuster. It's not up to him. And you have to have all of the people in your caucus uh, agreeable to do that, though Manchin has signaled he would vote for the for the American Rescue Package, though we don't quite know the details if he's going to battle back on the $15 minimum wage or, you know, any specific, you know, details about that. But it likely will be a lot easier to negotiate with a Manchin in a cinema than it would to negotiate with 10 Republicans. <laughs> so, Oh, yes, I'd say without a doubt. <laughs> yes. I mean, what we've seen is Republicans and Democrats. I know there was a lot of um, hubbub made about the meeting last night at the White House, the meeting between the Republicans um, on, on Monday night. It was a courtesy. It was, well, and, and it was uh, the reality that you have to kind of accept here is that Republicans are proposing a $600 billion bill and Democrats are proposing a $2 trillion bill, roughly. Those two numbers are very far apart, according to the math that we all understand quite easily. So um, yeah, how, how numbers work, right? How, right. How, how, that whole math thing and how numbers are close or far apart. So, you know, that's the, um, that's just the, the, yes, you're absolutely right. In, in, in some that it would be much easier for, uh, for re Democrats to negotiate with Manchin and Cinema than Republicans. And, and I don't think a lot of uh, Democratic senators are, will soon easily forget all of the promises for votes they got in exchange for amendments during the Affordable Care Act budget reconciliation process that never materialized. So, I, you know, it, I don't think that'll be easily forgotten. Um, so I'm not sure how many Republican amendments will be adopted, though there could be. And like you said, it's a long and arduous process. Second thing I want to talk to you about um, is Mitch McConnell's response now to uh, to Marjorie Taylor Greene. He, he has said... 
uh, quote, loony lies and conspiracy theories are a cancer for the Re- Republican Party in our country. Somebody who suggested that no airplane hit the Pentagon or that horrifying school shootings were pre-staged or that the Clintons crashed JFK Jr.'s airplane is not living in reality. It has nothing to do with the challenges facing American families or the ro- robust debates on substance that can strengthen our party. Not sure what he means there, but um, th- I-, I was wondering what your thoughts were on on this quite public response and and, and a growing sort of uh, congealing of two different sides of the Republican Party. Yeah, this is very strange for Mitch McConnell. He doesn't do this kind of stuff too often, and he also doesn't serve in the House of Representatives, which makes this even more noteworthy. But it does show you that he is trying to get a hold of the Republican Party after four years of Donald Trump, four years in which he was an active participant in much of Donald Trump's um, behavior and and um, uh, uh, you know strategies. So it's not as if he's he's completely absolved from all the bad of Donald Trump's era, but he's trying to. In the case of Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is an, who has espoused anti-Semitic, racist, Islamophobic, um, take your your hateful um, your hateful uh, remarks, and she's she's done them. Um, so, you know, I, I was taken by, I was surprised by this. I was surprised by her, by, by his remarks. But listen, today in the Capitol, I can tell you, a lot of people have come out of the woodwork saying the same thing. Uh, Mitt Romney said it. Joni Ernst from Iowa said it and said, listen, this is not a woman we want to be associated with. So I think, I think the, but listen, how do you, how do you, if you're Kevin McCarthy, and I, I don't have a good answer to this, and I'm just posing it as a question, you can answer it or none of us can answer it if, if that's easier, but you know, what do you? do to somebody who has been elected by her constituents to to you can't throw her out of the party the party affiliation is a self-identifying thing she's a republican they could say you're not going to have committee assignments they could say you're not going to be allowed in that house republican conference which is an institution within the house of representatives in which all republicans are members but i mean how do you say i mean you could you could say what she said is wrong but there's not much recourse there you know well, I'm hoping that, you know, as we know, Steny Hoyer came out, gave an ultimatum to McCarthy saying, remove her from the education yep. committee or we'll vote to do it. And I think that McCarthy may see the writing on the wall. It could be very difficult uh, for Republicans to get a majority back in the House anytime soon, though they, uh, you know, are usually poised to do that in the midterm after this particular election. Uh, but if, if the the voting someone off a committee in the House becomes a thing. It could gum up the works to to assigning committee members for forever. It could set this precedent where, well, now we got to vote on every single committee member because somebody's going to object, and they'll they'll look back at Marjorie Taylor Greene and say, "Oh, you guys did it here," and so you know we're going to require it here. So it'll be interesting to see how McCarthy responds to to Steny Hoyer's seventy uh, two hour deadline, which I think is up tomorrow. Well, I would actually, if I if I mean if I were McCarthy. If I were thinking like, not if I were McCarthy, if I were in his head right now, what I would probably be thinking is I could do it or I could have someone else do it for me. And what which one is easier? And I think he'll probably come to the determination that it's probably easier to have someone else do it for him. I don't know that to be true. And I'm not predicting that. I'm just saying that that is one way some congressional leaders think. Well, it could it could be the reason that McConnell came out. Uh, uh, so strongly, given him sort of a, a, a the green light to go ahead and, and remove her from the committee assignment. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that, um, to be honest with you, uh, it, it does set a, a pretty crazy precedent. I'm not saying it's a, it's I'm not saying this is not warranted. I'm not passing judgment on that. But I mean, 
I've never, and I've been covering Congress, and we have, as you noted, uh, quite an institutional memory here. I've never seen the minority, the majority party, remove a minority part, a member of the minority party from a committee. It's just never happened in my in my in my time watching Congress. Yeah, it'll be. I, I'm I'm interested to see what happens there. And finally. We have Pete Buttigieg confirmed today, along with uh, Ali Mayorkas, who is now filling the longest vacant cabinet seat, 650-something days. I, I I don't have it in front of me. A long, long time. Uh, we haven't had uh, a legit secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. So those two went through today. Yeah, uh, uh, Mayorkas had some problems, meaning Republicans were against him and and they made him run out. The, they made Schumer run out the clock for the most part on that. Uh, he passed with a mostly Democratic um, Democratic support and Buttigieg passed with very broad bipartisan support, 80 something people. He's the first um, uh, LGBTQ confirmed cabinet member, I believe, uh, uh, Rick Grinnell in the Trump administration yeah, was, was, yeah. was ambassador to, Ber- to Germany and then became in the cabinet later on, but notable nonetheless. Um, listen, I think that that the pace has been slow getting some of these people confirmed. The weather slowed it down yesterday. Republicans slowed it down last week. But but Biden now has a pretty good chunk of his cabinet in, and I think there's going to be fights in the future. Javier Becerra at HHS is going to be a fight. There's no question about that. Um, Merrick Garland is already a fight. Uh, Lindsey Graham is delaying. I think Merrick Garland will get through, though. I do. I just think he will. The, the larger problem about Merrick Garland is that the Senate hasn't, Schumer and McConnell haven't come to an organizing resolution, which we heard was going to happen today, although uh, we hear that almost every day these days. So, so uh, it still could happen. Uh, it's it's on it's on the verge of happening. So anyway, I but yes, his cabinet is getting filled, and that's and that's um, that's important for a president, no matter no matter where you sit. Well, uh, I look forward to reading up about it and hearing about it on on your podcast, The Daily Punch, and in your newsletter from Punchbowl News. And I appreciate you joining us today. It's been really eye opening to talk to you, Jake Sherman. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Everybody, stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. Oh, you ready to see what we got from the from the good news vault, Dana? I am. I always am. I love these stories. I want to see pod pets. I want dogs. I want, I want, I don't know, leopards. Someone has a pet leopard, maybe. I want to see llamas and goats. Let's do this. Wombats. Yeah. Sugar gliders. We've had some sugar gliders and chickens. Oh, they're the cutest. Goats. Hedgehogs. uh, Hedgehogs. Mm, So cute. All right, uh, let's uh, let's hit the ground running. By the way, if you have anything you want to contribute, personal, political good news, corrections, confession, you want to just send your pet pictures in or um, kids or grandkids, whatever it is, uh, let us know. Send it in, dailybeanspod.com, and click on contact. First up, from sh- uh, anonymous, pronoun she and her. Confession, we have a confession. My partner has been following r-wall da- uh, street, or r slash wall street, I guess that's the subreddit, wall street bets, since late last year and missed out when they all went nuts for Tesla stock. He saw GameStop 
uh, coming and was able to get in pretty low and then was able to sell enough stocks late in the week to cover the initial investment, plus a little profit of about $50, and still have 100 shares left to ride out whatever craziness is coming. Good news. If the whole stock evaporates, we're still up 50 bucks. But if the stocks do what they were predicted to do before the super shady Robin Hood, etc. stuff started happening, we might make enough to remodel parts of the 20-year-old house we moved into four weeks before pandemic lockdown started last year. So we're crossing our fingers and hoping that GME will pay for some new windows so our heating and cooling bills aren't as awful this coming year. Stay safe and take <laughs> care. Bonus confession, I want Elizabeth Warren to be given free reign to regulate the ever-loving hell out of the stock market. I wish we had a stronger hold on the Senate so she could be unleashed on Wall Street. Well, she was just nominated today uh, uh, to the Finance Committee, so she's going to be in charge of a lot of that and a lot of the legislation that's going to come out of the Finance Committee. I'm really excited about that. I am too. I want to get the shit fixed in our country. Uh, let's not get someone else in there that's going to mess it up. All right, this next good news comes from Mary, pronouns she and her. I have two pieces of good news today. My first piece of good news is that my father-in-law and stepmother-in-law both got the first dose of the Moderna vaccine last week. They're scheduled their second appointments, um, so hopefully they will be vaccinated against COVID-19 by the end of February. Nice good news there. Yeah. My second piece of good news is that my brother got <laughs> Sorry, it just trips me up. My second piece of good news is that my brother got COVID, but it is he has made a full recovery. And my voice is cracking. He's made a full recovery, and he didn't need to be hospitalized or put on a ventilator, thank God. Oh, good. Yes, uh, he got his negative test last week. Wonderful. He had blood work done, too, which showed COVID antibodies in his blood. I admit that I'm not surprised that my brother got COVID. He drives a lot for his job, and he is an essential employee. Well, tell him thank you for us. My brother told me that one of his symptoms was that his sense of taste was, quote-unquote, off. This stuck out to me because another one of my friends who got COVID last year said that one of her symptoms, too, food tasted off, and she didn't feel like eating. Thanks for the work that you do. So for those of you listening, and this is... Not a great story, but my friend uh, who got COVID, a mild, fairly mild case, lost her taste and smell in November and has not gotten it back. And this happens with some of the the cases. So um, just preventatively, I'm not giving any medical advice from my experience, though. Uh, Take some zinc, make sure that your vitamin D is up to date, because apparently in um, several of the cases where people lost their taste and smell, they were deficient in those. Yeah, that's really interesting, too. I wonder if it's got something to do with um, the virus trying to make us not eat, which is, you know, another way to take us out. So that's yeah, it's true. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but I'm so glad your brother's made a full recovery. And I'm so happy that your in-laws have uh, will be fully vaccinated by the end of February, Mary. So thank you for that good news. Uh, next up from Bonnie, pronouns she and her. Hi, everyone. I've been procrastinating and sending this in, but then heard Brent's good news about wanting to connect to the Beans reading community and AG's Facebook request, and I knew I had to write in. My good news is that Cannonball Read, the online memorial reading challenge charity I run, donated $1,325 to the American Cancer Society on December 31st. See, 2020 was good for this, at least. Excuse me. That brings our grand total of donations over the years to 8575 We have just begun our 13th year of sticking it to cancer, one book at a time, through our book review website, cannonballread.com. Cannonball Read donates all profits from ad revenue and fundraising to the American Cancer Society, and we'd love to have any Leguminati or other readers join us by going to cannonballread.com slash registration. Also, side note, I was thrilled to hear about cleanup on aisle 45, and doubly so when Andrew said two great tastes that taste great together. 
<laughs> Younger Illuminati might not know that, that there was a time when America had to be convinced that mixing peanut butter and chocolate together was a good thing. <laughs> Thanks, AG. Still hard to say, Allison. DG, Judge Amy, and everyone else behind the Beans team. Your witty, thorough coverage has given me peace of mind through the rotten oranges term. And I'm psyched to stand watch with you in the next podcast. My pod tax is a photo of my youngest with our old Yellow Lab Husky Mix Duchess, who lived to the age of 15. She was the smartest dog I know, and to this day, is still the queen of our hearts. Oh, look at these two. So, so, so sweet. Aww. Well, thank you very much, Bonnie. Uh, this next one, this next one comes from Chris, pronouns he and him. Good news. Sometimes I get to house sit and dog sit. It's one of the perks of my flexible jobs. It's not regular enough for me to have a pup of my own, or maybe I'm not ready for the responsibility. Either way, these two, Breezy and Daisy, temporarily fill the dog-shaped hole in my life. Breezy is quite... Oh, quiet and contemplative. Breezy, I was like, I don't even know what that word is, AG. (laughs) Breezy is quiet and contemplative, almost monk-like, and Daisy is a runaway train. Uh, So, yes, we can... Oh, my goodness. I love these. (laughs) Both of these dogs are beautiful. I love the two juxtapositioned dogs, too. There's the contemplative stoic monk dog, and then there is absolute barn burner. Oh, my goodness. This picture... I love when people get pictures of animals like this in action. Uh, mm-hmm. The dog is clearly digging a hole, and it's amazing. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. You have to see this in the newsletter. Yeah, the ears are flapping up. The lips are in the wind. It's incredible. Well done. Absolutely incredible. Thank you for that submission. Next up from Adam, pronouns he and him. After being uh, overstressed at her job doing the work of five people with all requests for help falling on deaf ears, leading to her having a seizure from the stress, my wife quit her job right before Christmas. The great news is that she just got a job offer at twice what she was getting paid, and it's remote with less stress and a more open schedule. As pet tax, I prevent Shiloh, queen of the floor, showing off her hacker skills. Oh, yep, there she is, cat on a laptop. <laughs> Look at that side eye. I'm working here. That's a I'm big working baby. Here. I am so glad your wife's okay and uh, just stays <gasps> healthy. Yeah. What was that? <gasps> you did you look ahead? Stop it. Scro- scroll down. Oh, damn it! I know. Okay. Did you? I'll take the next one and you, oh, t- I'll take the next two. They're short, and then you can close it out. All right. This next one is from John. No pronouns given. Hi, all. Long-time listener and patron. Love the show. Keep up the great work. I thought I'd share a pic of our new multi-poop poppy. Best regards from Liverpool, Britain. Thank you so much for this deliciousness. Oh, look at this little bean. Oh, my gosh. It's a baby multi-poo. It's got golden and white fur. Oh, my God. Poppy's adorable. Thank you for that, Joy. And uh, this next one's anonymous, but did give pronouns. They are she and her. I lost my software engineering job last year due to COVID. Thankfully, I was able to put my time to good use by writing hundreds of postcards for the election. Thank you. The Orange Menace is ejected from the White House, and I got a new job. Yay! I need an extension on the pod pet tax. I have a Muppet. She's a mix between the Great Pyrenees and a German Shepherd, but I'll have to submit pictures at a later date. We are looking forward to Muppet. When you have a chance. Yep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to see this. Yeah, yeah. I grew up with Great Pyrenees, and uh, I, ha- I have a German Shepherd, so to see them uh, smushed together uh, in a mashup is going to be amazing. I can't wait for the photos. And finally, from Anonymous, pronouns she and her. Hi, AG and DG. I'm writing to share some amazing news that I honestly didn't know if I'd ever get to share. 
Right after the COVID shutdown in March, my mother was diagnosed with end-stage liver disease and placed on a transplant list. Thankfully, my job had moved fully to WFH, so I was able to dedicate most of my time helping her. Uh, But nothing prepared us for what lay ahead. In mid-June, she was diagnosed with severe and aggressive respiratory infection, not COVID, which led her to being intubated uh, just as Houston hospitals began shutting down. So, like many others, not only was my mother clinging to life, she was totally alone in the ICU. She was finally weaned off the ventilator in September and was released in October. Through all of this, she was still technically listed for a transplant, but was inactive due to the complications. And while we were doing everything we could to stay hopeful, we were essentially watching her waste away. It was the most soul-crushing experience that we've ever been through as a family. Fast forward to January 12th, where she was hospitalized once again for another infection and severe malnutrition, but on January 20th, one day before her 62nd birthday, my mom received a new liver. She made it through the surgery beautifully, and as of today, she is exceeding the expectations of all her doctors in her recovery. Unfortunately, the hospitals are back in lockdown, um, but just being able to FaceTime with her and watch her improve every day brings us the joy that I can't begin to describe. I'll forever be grateful for the generosity of her unknown donor and continue to keep their family in my thoughts as they grieve the loss of their loved one. I've attached pics of our fur babies, Rango, 10, and Floki, 3, for my pet tax. And thank you both for your daily dose of beans, good news, and laughter. Oh, what an incredible story. That was incredible. I mean, and to recognize and just good thoughts for the family who was able to give something so beautifully to yours. What a beautiful tribute. And these pups are gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. I know. Look at them. Look at that. There's a, that's a little, uh, the one on the right is guilty of something. Oh, for <laughs> sure (laughs) uh yeah (sighs) these are adorable puppers thank you so much anonymous for that uh what great news and if you anyone has any good news you want to share please send it to us dailybeanspod.com click on contact well everybody that's the uh the end of the show thank you so much thanks to jake sherman for joining us dana thank you very much do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here none today just you do your thing All right. Well, everyone, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health and take care of the planet. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. Refried beans. I like refried beans. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis' first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry... We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. 
expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is lawyers, guns, and money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.